Volume Two, Chapter Three of *The Vicar of Rexhill*. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. *The Vicar of Rexhill* by Francis Milton Trollope, Volume Two, Chapter Three. Charles walks over to Oakley. The vicar improves in his opinion. At the time Miss Torrington observed to Mister Mowbray that it was near dressing time, it wanted about four hours of dinner. So, having followed her with his eyes as she mounted the steps and entered the house he drew out his watch and perceiving that he had quite enough time for the excursion before dressing-time would be over set off to walk to oakley how far rosalind might have been disposed to quarrel with him for the very small proportion of meditation which he bestowed on fanny during his delightful stroll through the well-known shady lanes or how far she might have been tempted to forgive him for the much greater portion devoted to herself it is impossible to say but he arrived at sir gilbert's hall door in that happy state of mind which is often the result of a delicious day-dream when hope lends the support of her anchor to fancy sir gilbert and the colonel were out on horseback the servant said but my lady is in the garden and thither mowbray went to seek her he was somewhat startled at his first reception for the old lady watched his approach for some steps standing stock-still and without giving the slightest symptom of recognition at length she raised her glass to her eye and discovered who the tall stranger was upon which she sent forth a sound greatly resembling hollow which immediately recalled the servant who had marshalled mowbray to the garden and without uttering a word of welcome gave the following order very distinctly let richard take the brown mare and ride her sharp to ramsden sir gilbert is gone to the post-office the bank the saddlers and the nursery garden let him be told that mr mowbray is waiting for him at oakley and let not a single instant be lost the rapid manner in which very well my lady was uttered in reply and the man vanished out of sight showed that the order was likely to be as promptly executed as spoken my dear dear charles cried the old lady then stepping forward and placing her hands in his what brings you back to mowbray but never mind what it is nothing very bad i hope and then i must rejoice at it i am most thankful to see you here my dear boy how is my sweet helen could you not bring her with you charles she is in london my dear lady harrington with my mother where's the colonel with his father they will return together no grass will grow under their horses feet as they ride homeward to meet you charles but how comes it that you are at home if you have left oxford why are you not with your mother and helen a moment's thought might have told mowbray that this question would certainly be asked and must in some manner or other be answered but the moment's thought had not been given to it and he now felt considerably embarrassed how to answer he lamented the estrangement already existing however too sincerely to run any risk of increasing it by ill-timed reserve and therefore after a moment's hesitation very frankly answered i can tell you my dear lady why i am here more easily than i can explain for what purpose i returned post to mowbray this morning because miss torrington gave me a private intimation by letter that she thought the new vicar of rexhill was obtaining an undue influence over the mind of fanny she did not express herself very clearly and i was fool enough to imagine that she supposed he was making love to her but i find that her fears are only for poor little fanny's orthodoxy mr cartwright is one of i believe the most mischievous sect that ever attacked the established church and miss torrington not without good reason fears that fanny is in danger of becoming a proselyte to his gloomy and unchristian-like doctrine but at her age such a whim as this is not i should hope very likely to be lasting i don't know that replied lady harrington sharply miss torrington has acted with great propriety and exactly with the sort of promptitude and decision of character for which i should have given her credit beware mr mowbray how you make light of the appearance of religious schism among you it is a deadly weapon of discord and the poison in which it is dipped seldom finds an antidote either in family affection or filial obedience 
but fanny is so nearly a child lady harrington that i can hardly believe her capable of manifesting any very dangerous religious zeal at present you don't know what you are talking about charles of every family into which this insidious and most anti-christian schism has crept you would find upon inquiry that in nine instances out of ten it has been the young girls who have been selected as the first objects of conversion and then made the active means of spreading it afterwards don't treat this matter lightly my dear boy personally i know nothing of this mr cartwright we never leave our parish church and our excellent dr broughton to run after brawling extempore preachers but i have been told by one or two of our neighbours who do that he is what is called a shining light which means being interpreted a ranting canting fanatic take care above all things that your mother does not catch the infection my mother oh no her steady principles and quiet good sense would render such a falling off as that quite impossible very well i am willing to hope so and yet charles i cannot for the life of me help thinking that she must have had some other adviser than her own heart when she left my good sir gilbert's letter without an answer of what letter do you speak lady harrington said young mowbray colouring of that whereby he refused to execute the trust my father bequeathed him no charles of that whereby he rescinded his refusal has such a letter been sent inquired mowbray eagerly i never heard of it indeed then we must presume that mrs mowbray did not think it worth mentioning such a letter has however been sent mr mowbray and i confess i hoped on seeing you arrive that you were come to give it an amicable though somewhat tardy answer in person i am greatly surprised replied charles to hear that such a letter has been received by my mother because i had been led to believe that sir gilbert had declared himself unmovable on the subject but still more am i surprised that i should not have heard of it could helen know it and not tell me it must have been to her a source of the greatest happiness as the one which preceded had been of the deepest mortification and sorrow your sister then saw the first letter she did lady harrington and wrote me word of it with expressions of the most sincere regret but of the second she said nothing that is not like helen so little is it like her that i feel confident she never heard of the second letter i believe so too charles but what then are we to think of your mother's having shown the first letter and concealed the second it cannot be my mother never conceals anything from us we have never from the moment we left the nursery been kept in ignorance of any circumstance of general interest to the family my poor father's constant phrase upon all such occasions was let it be discussed in a committee of the whole house i cannot understand it replied the old lady seating herself upon a bench in the shade but at any rate i rejoice that you did not all think sir gilbert's recantation which was not written without an effort i promise you so totally unworthy of notice as you have appeared to do charles mowbray seated himself beside her and nearly an hour passed in conversation on the same subject or others connected with it at the end of that time sir gilbert booted and spurred appeared at the door of the mansion followed by his son there was an angry spot upon his cheek and though it was sufficiently evident that he was eager to meet young mowbray it was equally so that he was displeased with him lady harrington however soon cleared the way to the most frank and cordial communication rendering all explanation unnecessary by exclaiming he has never seen nor heard of your second letter sir gilbert nor helen either the baronet stood still for a moment looking with doubt and surprise first at his wife and then at his guest the doubt however vanished in a moment and he again advanced and now with an extended hand toward charles a conversation of some length ensued but as it consisted wholly of conjectures upon a point that they were all equally unable to explain it is unnecessary to repeat it the two young men met each other with expressions of the most cordial regard and before they parted colonel harrington related the conversation he had held with helen and miss torrington 
the result of which was his father's having dispatched the letter whose fate appeared involved in so much mystery lady harrington notwithstanding they who did not love her called her masculine showed some feminine tact in not mentioning to sir gilbert that it was a letter from miss torrington which had recalled charles it is probable that when her own questionings had forced this avowal from him she had perceived some shade of embarrassment in his answer but she failed not to mention the serious turn that fanny mowbray appeared to have taken and her suspicions that the new vicar of rexhill must have been rather more assiduous than was desirable in his visit at the park the case is clear clear as daylight my lady i understand it all stop a moment charles if you won't stay to dinner you must stay while i furnish you with a document by means of which you may i think make a useful experiment without waiting for an answer sir gilbert left the party in the garden and hurried into the house whence he returned in a few minutes with a scrap of paper in his hand fortunately charles very fortunately i have kept a copy of my last note to your mother i am sure i know not what induced me to keep it had such a thing happened to mr cartwright he would have declared it providential but i in my modesty only call it lucky take this paper charles and read it if you will tis a shame you have not read it before you say i think that the vicar is expected at mowbray this evening just put this scrap of paper into his hand and ask him if he ever read it before let him say what he will i give you credit for sufficient sharpness to find out the truth if he has seen it i shall know whom i have to thank for the insolent contempt it has met with but my mother cried charles with emotion is it possible she could conceal such a note as this from her children and show it to this man sir gilbert i cannot believe it i don't like to believe it myself charles upon my life i don't but what can we think at any rate make the experiment to-night it can do no harm and come here to dinner to-morrow to tell us the result i will come to you with the greatest pleasure and bring you all the intelligence i can get my own opinion is that the note was lost before it reached my mother's hands the usual hour i suppose sir gilbert six o'clock six o'clock charles and as usual punctual to a moment when mowbray reached his home it was in truth rather more than time to dress but he kept the young ladies waiting as short a time as possible fanny presented him in proper style to miss cartwright as soon as he appeared in the drawing-room and he had the honour of giving that silent young lady his arm to the dining-room charles thought her deep-set black eyes very handsome nevertheless he secretly wished that she were a hundred miles off for her presence of course checked every approach to confidential conversation nothing indeed could well be more dull and unprofitable than this dinner miss cartwright spoke not at all fanny no more than was necessary for the performance of her duty at the head of the table and rosalind looked pale and languid and so completely out of spirits that every word she spoke seemed a painful effort to her she was occupied in recalling to mind the tone and air of the party who dined together in that same room about six months before when charles had last returned from oxford the contrast these recollections offered to the aspect of the present party was most painful and as rosalind turned her eyes round the table with a look of wistful melancholy as if looking for those who were no longer there her thoughts were so legibly written on her countenance that mowbray understood them as plainly as if they had been spoken rosalind will you take wine with me you look tired and pale this was said in a tone of affectionate interest that seemed to excite the attention of henrietta and when miss torrington raised her eyes to answer it she observed that young lady's looks fixed on mr mowbray's countenance with an expression that denoted curiosity the whole party seemed glad to escape from the dinner-table and the young ladies with light shawls and parasols had just wandered out upon the lawn when they met mr cartwright approaching the house fanny coloured and looked at her brother miss cartwright coloured too and her eyes followed the direction of fanny's as if to see how this familiar mode of approach was approved by mr mowbray 
Charles certainly felt a little surprised, and did not take much pains to conceal it. For a moment he looked at the vicar, as if not quite certain who it was, and then, touching his hat with ceremonious politeness, said haughtily enough, "'Mr. Cartwright, I believe?' It would have been difficult for any one to find fault with the manner in which this salutation was returned. In a tone admirably modulated between profound respect and friendly kindness, his hat raised gracefully from his head to greet the whole party, and his handsome features wearing an expression of the greatest benevolence, Mr. Cartwright hoped that he had the happiness of seeing Mr. Mowbray well. Charles felt more than half ashamed of the reception he had given him, and stretched out his hand as if to atone for it. The vicar felt his advantage, and pursued it by the most easy, winning, yet respectful style of conversation. His language and manners became completely those of an accomplished man of the world. His topics were drawn from the day's paper and the last review. He ventured a jest upon Don Carlos, and a bon mot upon the Duke of Wellington, took little or no notice of Fanny, spoke affectionately to his daughter, and gaily to Miss Torrington, and, in short, appeared to be as little deserving of all Rosalind had said of him, as it was well possible for a gentleman to be. "'Fair Rosalind has certainly suffered her imagination to conjure up a bugbear in this man,' thought Charles. "'It is impossible he can be the violent fanatic she describes.' After wandering about the gardens for some time, Fanny proposed that they should go in to tea, but before they reached the house, Mr. Cartwright proposed to take his leave, saying that he had an engagement in Rexhill, which was to prevent his lengthening his visit. The adieu had been spoken on all sides, and the vicar turned from them to depart, when Charles recollected the commission he had received from Sir Gilbert, and that he had promised to report the result on the morrow. Hastily following him, therefore, he said, "'I beg your pardon, Mr. Cartwright, but before you go will you have the kindness to read this note, and tell me if you know whether my mother received such a one before she went to London?' Mr. Cartwright took the note, read it attentively, and then returned it, saying, "'No, Mr. Mowbray, I should certainly think not. Not because I never saw or heard of it, but because I imagine that if she had, she would not have proceeded to London without Sir Gilbert. Was such a note as that sent, Mr. Mowbray?' Charles had kept his eyes very steadily fixed on the vicar, both while he read the note and while he spoke of it. Not the slightest indication, however, of his knowing anything about it was visible in his countenance, voice, or manner, and again, as he looked at him, young Mowbray felt ashamed of suspicions for which there seemed to be so little cause. "'Such a note as this was sent, Mr. Cartwright,' he frankly replied, "'but I suspect that by some unlucky accident it never reached my mother's hands. Otherwise, as you well observe, she would not have set off to London on this business without communicating with Sir Gilbert Harrington.' "'I conceive it must be so, indeed, Mr. Mowbray, and it is greatly to be lamented, for the receiving it would have saved poor Mrs. Mowbray much anxiety and trouble. She expressed herself to you as being annoyed by Sir Gilbert's refusing to act? Oh, yes, repeatedly, so much so indeed that nothing but the indispensable duty of my parish prevented my offering to accompany her to London myself. I wished her very much to send for you, but nothing would induce her to interrupt your studies." It is not in the nature of a frank-hearted young man to doubt statements thus simply uttered by one having the bearing and appearance of a gentleman, and Charles Mowbray reported accordingly at the dinner-table of Sir Gilbert, assuring him that the test had proved Mr. Cartwright's innocence on this point most satisfactorily. End of chapter 3